What if the Len Bias story hosted by Jordan Ritter Khan is the Ringer's latest narrative podcast? You can find new episodes every Wednesday on the Book of Basketball 2.0 feed. Here's a quick trailer. You've heard his name, Len Bias, 1980s phenom, second pick in the NBA draft. And then cocaine, tragedy, one of the most shocking deaths in sports history. 35 years later, Bias's legacy is still making an impact. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, this is What If, the Lynn Bias story. I'm Jordan Ritter Khan. It's the mismatch presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states or 18 plus in D.C. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by USAA Homeowners Insurance. USAA has homeowners insurance that could lead the league in assists. Serving our military veterans and their eligible family members, USAA delivers award-winning service and peace of mind. And if you file a claim, the process is transparent and easy, and you can do it all right in the USAA app. Tap the banner or visit usaa.com slash homeowners to learn more and get a quote. Restrictions apply. Welcome to The Mismatch. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me as he does every Friday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, Kevin O'Blazarian, Kevin O'Climber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Conflict, Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Killian, Kevin O'Kindness, Kevin O'Contrarian, Kevin O'Cannabis, Kevin <laughs> Verno, what's up? Well, we are recording this late on a Thursday night. We have just gotten done watching the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Brooklyn Nets, and we are, in fact, going to get at minimum, one game seven. Game in these, seven. In game these, seven. In, in this Zaza. playoff round. <laughs> um, 104 to 89, the Bucks are able to beat the Nets. 89 is a rather incredible number mm. to be able to hold the Nets to. And that has kind of been commonplace in this series when the Bucks, though everybody focuses on their offense and Giannis and what they may or may not be doing. You know, these games that they have been able to beat Brooklyn, they've been able to make them very uncomfortable, grind it down, um, get the game in the mud a little bit, and really hold Brooklyn. You know, that's that's not a team comfortable playing when the, when the score is going to be low. They are at their best when this is an open and free game. Um and and the Bucks have done a very good job defensively. And some of these wins, they got monster performances out of their two big guys, Middleton especially, but Giannis uh, went along with him and combined those two, had a combined 68 points and 27 rebounds. If you want to add in Holiday, you know, you had 21 and 8 
to that, to those numbers. So Mm -hmm. those big three guys, really nothing else of significance from anybody else offensively, nothing out of their bench. Two points from Bryn Forbes. Um, Those two, I suppose, because he wanted to show out for his college coach, uh, Tom Izzo, who was there in the front row. <laughs> and then uh, and then Giannis's brother scored two points. But that was it. That was that constituted every point scored by the Bucks bench in a win, which is rather impressive. But now it's going to go back to Brooklyn. It's a game seven. We, we saw kind of what Brooklyn would look like when they got the really good Durant game, not the otherworldly Durant game. And it does feel, after watching Harden these two games, Kev, they're going to need otherworldly Durant. Yeah, they're going to need otherworldly Durant or they're going to need Harden to get even better. You know, he was slightly better, you know, moving around today than he was in game five, even though still like Doris Burke mentioned multiple times on the broadcast, that fast break opportunity where he normally would have been go, 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 go. And he started, then stopped slow down, gave the ball up. You know, it's like little things like that take away from what make him James Harden. But it's not just James Harden. It's not just Kevin Durant going nuclear like he did in game five. They also need somebody like Joe Harris to start shooting the ball well, Chris. One for four again tonight. He was 25% over his last three games before this one, too. He, He has lost his shot. A guy like him, if you can make him a shooting threat and get, you know, 15, 20 points out of him, that changes a lot for your fortunes in a game. So Brooklyn... They got to get Kevin Durant, not great, but amazing. Yeah. And they got to get some of these other guys to have some hot shooting nights, whether it's Joe Harris or Blake Griffin or whoever. But also, like, got to give credit to the Bucks too. They've done a really nice job at make, forcing a guy like Joe Harris into some tough, contested shots with guys all over him, not giving him a lot of open space. Milwaukee did a really great job in the defensive end tonight, really, especially P.J. Tucker. Yeah. Oh, oh for sure. He what, was what a beast. A, he was oh, really? a beast. And he, he just he is so physical and he plays so hard. Um, and you could tell Milwaukee does feel like one of those teams, and especially, you know, the Middleton stuff, it feels like they are so affected by that home crowd, doesn't it? Like that when they get going, their crowd is great. It really is. And those guys, you know, it's almost like they, typically when you see teams that are at this level, when you've gotten to this far in the playoffs, you don't have to you, – you you can play at maybe not peak, peak performance, but you can play at a very, very high level without people cheering for you. But for this sure. team just seems so much better when – you know, and, and especially some of their players. Maybe it's just the, the positive affirmation that they, <laughs> that they get. They need that, right? Instead of people groaning when they make shots, people are going crazy when they make shots. And it's, it's just odd. Um, and regardless, point, of where, regardless of where the game is played, though, right. it's the decisions on the floor that influence whether that crowd is booing That's or true. cheering or silent. Giannis didn't take a three-pointer tonight. That's right. I believe he only had one or two mid-range jumpers. That's he was getting to the basket, playing aggressively, making smart decisions as a passer, even though it only resulted in three assists. Giannis was attacking the boards. I thought he had a sensational night on the offensive end of the floor. Him and Chris Middleton were just truly, I mean, a dyna- dynamic duo. Chris Middleton had his best game of the entire series. And this is what happens sometimes. Chris Middleton, you know, he can be inconsistent. He can have some rough shooting nights. But when that dude is on, oh, he can drop 38 points and make it look simple. Absolutely. And to your point about who's going to come along with Durant, we, we both 
admit he has to be otherworldly, which he was. But who's the guy that comes along? So when they were able to get that game five win, it was Jeff Green, right? Well, Jeff Green turns around. He's got 35 minutes. He's got five points tonight. You know, it's like who is if, – if, if Brooklyn is going to get it done, who's that guy? I, I it, it seems very, very difficult to imagine it being James Harden. So is it Jeff Green? Is it Joe Harris? Is it – Blake Griffin, is it even a, a, a more unlikely, like a Landry Shamit? You know, who is the guy that is going to give you something that you're not necessarily counting on every single night? Like they're going to have that Jeff Green game five performance because, they, you know, Durant was so historically unbelievable in that game. Do you forget, like Jeff Green's numbers were freaky. For, for Jeff Green, I mean, like, look, we know that this is possible, too, that Jeff Green could play 35 minutes tonight, and he, he might get you five. He might get you 27. That, and that's and the <laughs> Jeff Green experience. It that's what it's, it's been for years. <laughs> it's been that way for years. And so now who's that guy? Is it in a game seven is by that time is hard and able to muster even more than he was able to give them tonight? You know, enough to be that second guy for, you know, for, for Durant. Um, and Durant can't have, no lie. I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine him having 30 and them winning. You know what I mean? Like, he's going to have to have 40 or 50 for them to be able to pull this off. Because, look, they got one of the great performances in NBA history. And that thing went down to the wire. Yeah. Right? So I mean they they I mean look there's the variable of Kyrie Irving could he return we don't know uh there's the variable of James Harden does he have an on day or like things are just working for him it it will be a game 7 I would imagine he will go more th- full throttle and risk some things because it's a game 7 than he did in the game 6 I just don't know if uh, it's there to risk he just looks so I mean he's playing on a bum well, hamstring I mean, he I mean, is he is, but I, I mentioned that play that Doris Burke uh, detailed er, during the game where he got the ball with an easy transition opportunity, mm-hmm. and he didn't push. He didn't push the pace off the dribble. He slowed himself down early in the game to conserve his energy, not you know potentially risk things early on. And I agreed with her assessment of that. I'd be curious to see what he would say about that, but ultimately – it, it's a game seven, man. Like you gotta go balls to the wall, put it all out there. And like, I feel that way in every series right now, if you're Kyrie and you're able to play, you got to get out there. If you're Mike Conley, you know, in this jazz Clippers series, we'll talk about them later. You got to get out there. You got to play. You got to try to contribute to get your team to advance. And with this net series here, um, I still believe, you know, James Harden can give more. Well, I'll tell you I this. Do. He might be able to, but this will be a, I mean, just an epic disappointment for the Bucks. They this this is the moment you have just even if though that game seven is going to be on the road, you have to take advantage of this. You have to take advantage of this. I, I don't know what he can give, but he's not James Harden. No, he's, he's not. not. He's not even no. close to James Harden. So you're playing against Kevin Durant, and that's the guy that you know. You've got to be able to slow down, not completely, just enough, because this is absolute 
golden opportunity to go to the next round because in the games that we're about to get to, I mean, who knows who you're playing in the next round? I mean, (laughs) it's not unfathomable that no matter who wins this series, that they are going to be the favorite in the next round. Yeah, I'd be willing to bet that too. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Offer valid for new and eligible returning subscribers only. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by USAA Insurance. USAA is insurance that could lead the league in assist. That's because bundling auto with home or renter's insurance saves you money. USAA understands the needs of our military, veterans, and their eligible family members. And they've got great rates and insurance options to meet them. See how much you can save. Tap the banner to learn more and get a quote at usaa.com slash bundle. Restrictions apply. Kev, last night, we'll get to both of the games. That first one, I just the whole night of ba- <laughs> the whole night of basketball was just absolutely positively shocking. And this was a weird after, night. This was after a shocking day of news all day, which actually continued into today, which we're going to have to talk about all of that, too. So we have just had so much news go on over the last 48 hours since we last spoke, and then these games. So the 76ers have a 26-point lead in the game. Now, just to speak to and, and to not make this be a prisoner of the moment thing, as you're watching that play out, now keep in mind they had just blown an 18-point lead in Game 5. So now you move to Game 6, and I even texted you before the game, and it, and I was like, it, this feels like Doc just went into that locker room and called them all a bunch of wussies, and they're playing like they're going to murder somebody. I mean, Embiid is picking up text. He's got this growl on his face. He's just <laughs> laying waste to them. In the first half it, of that it, it game. Was, it was just like we talked exactly about, Exactly <laughs> what we said. He's going to – they stymied him. He had the worst game ever. He's four for 20. And then he turns around and it's just – I mean, he's just on hellfire against them. Mm-hmm. And then this lead grows and grows and grows. Next thing you know, it's 26. There's a lot of people – I guarantee a huge percentage of the audience turned it off. Oh, yeah. It's better stuff to watch. Understandably there's so. Yeah, there's a lot lot of options out there. You get Netflix, yeah. you get video games, TikTok, okay. lay so, in bed, whatever people A lot of nowadays. things that were more entertaining <laughs> than that. In the last 25 years, the 76ers, with a 25-point lead, had been 165-0. and 0. Okay? They also, in the last two games, have blown 18 and 26-point leads They are the only team in 25 years to blow back-to-back leads of those tight margins. That's something else. I mean, it it truly was history, right? Like, sometimes we can just get caught up in 
what just happened and become prisoners of the moment or deal in grand hyperbole. There's no hyperbole big enough for this. This was honestly something you never see and something that has not happened to the Sixers in 25 years and has not happened to any NBA team in 25 years. It is just the the grandest embarrassment, the grandest disappointment imaginable. I, I, I'm watching it play out and I'm like, I, I can't believe this. I can't believe what I'm watching. And Joel Embiid, for as great as he was in that first half, he now, in the second half of game five. Worn out, man. Game, uh, game five and game six, three of 21 with seven turnovers. My God. He, he's been falling off a cliff in those second halves. In the later in games, as what? they attack him and attack him, fatigue begins to build. It's as if, I mean, late in that fourth quarter, he couldn't move on defense, Chris. He couldn't move. You know who else couldn't? Trey was blowing right past Ben Simmons. Yeah. I had a guy, crazy. when I woke up this morning, I had a guy that reached out to me. He was very close with uh, people with the Hawks, and he relayed to me that there was this feeling of confidence that comes over that team in these second halves because those guys are tired. They're a load management team. They're a team that doesn't really practice, and that's a team that is gassed. Mm. And it's hard for me to argue with that, and I don't know. You know, you know what's crazy, Kevin? It is very, very hard. Not when I got that this morning. And that was uh, a Hawks guy, you said. Yes. And the opinion was these guys, these guys are tired. Like we see it. Interesting. They're tired. And they do see it that they're tired. Because you know what immediately made that made me think of? And this is going to be crazy. It immediately made me think of last year's Clippers. Oh. Which was who? Yeah. Doc. Mm, interesting. Another Doc interesting. team. Now, let me <laughs> pair this up, okay? Another Doc team. So let me pair this up. And then I read this. This was on CBS Sports Headquarters. Over the last two seasons, Doc Rivers coach teams are 11-5 and five when getting a lead of at least 16 points in the postseason. The rest of the NBA is 76 and three. Really? Oh my God. What? A, can you say that again? I, I need to hear in it again. Last, if I need to hear it again, like the listeners, I feel like well, I need to make sure I heard in that. In the right. last two seasons, Doc Rivers coach teams are 11 and five when they have gotten a lead of 16 or more. The rest of the NBA combined. Is seventy six and three. That's insane. So, so no, 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 no. Now, so, think about that. Now, now so you want to have the moment. You want to have the movie moment. I sat there when I when, uh, not even thinking about the correlations. When I read that, I thought of last year's Clippers and yeah. how they beat the shit out of somebody and then they'd lose, and you'd be like, "What? They were winning by twenty. 
Like, how are they losing? How do they lose? You remember this epic collapse against Denver? You go back and look, they had big leads in these games. And the same things happened twice in a row against Atlanta Mm. with this Philly team. And then I read this stat and I'm like, okay, I just, I, I felt that way. But like I didn't have any nub. I didn't. I had sure, not gone and looked fact. it. I hadn't gone and looked it up. But that's outrageous. Outrageous I mean, that your your win percentage. So, so everybody else won ninety six percent of those games. Yes, the Clippers won only sixty nine percent. Well, no, no, Clippers and Sixers. Games. Clippers and Sixers. Yeah. So Doc Rivers coach teams. Correct. Yeah. So the Doc Rivers coach team sixty nine percent, which is not nice. Every other team ninety six percent. That's remarkable. That's remarkable. And this is Doc Rivers, who you know he coached a Magic team that blew a three to one lead to the Pistons. He coached Celtics teams that blew three two leads to the Magic and the Lakers in the Heat. He coached Clippers teams that blew three one leads to the Rockets and the Nuggets. He's coached six teams that have blown three one or three two series leads. He now has this crazy stat. <laughs> That you just detailed about blown leads and wins in individual games. That is remarkable, Chris. It really is. That blows my mind. And and yet it's not surprising because of the series stat. Well, the other thing is if you read the Philly writers, it's like that the these bench unit uh these bench units with Tobias Harris as the only starter. I mean, they've gotten mauled. Like they can't score, and he like it, it, they're on his ass about stubbornly sticking with this wildly indefective combo that has, uh, you know, th- that has been a problem for them throughout this post. And it's been a problem for him for years as a coach. When I, you know, back in the day when Doc Rivers was coaching the Celtics, they used to piss me off in the playoffs when he'd roll out those bench mob lineups. Sometimes when the bench was amazing, it would be good, but you don't always have an amazing bench. <laughs> and if you continue doing that, when you have an average bench or a below average bench, maybe it's time to make a change. And, you know, I thought Jonathan Sharks earlier on Thursday, me, him and Bill Simmons, and then Ryan Russillo joined, we did a, a live show on Spotify green room, their new live audio yep. app was a lot of fun. Like we had like a thousand people in there, which I guess is max amount of people. Great. And, um, and that it was a fun time. Really good. We should do one sometime, Chris. Um, and anyway, so Charks brought up, he's like, why are we doing this? You know, bench plus Tobias Harris lineup. Why not do bench plus Ben Simmons and possibly have Seth Curry in there too? Because if you do that, you know, I brought up to him. It's like, you got to get creative here. You have to get creative. And like I've hammered this for years, years, using Ben Simmons in a Draymond Green style role as a screener on the ball for a guy who can shoot off the dribble like a Seth Curry and have him roll to the rim. And that's how you get value out of Ben Simmons because he can throw down lob dunks. Yeah, he but can you, catch the ball. You saw he can catch the ball night. on the short roll, Chris. He can but, pick apart defenses with a pass. But you got to do something a little bit different than they, what you've done before. They did try it last night for a couple yeah, of possessions. Yep, yeah, but if you screen cap it, Kevin, here's what happened. They put Ben up there at the top. He set the screen. There wasn't a hawk past the free throw. Oh, line. yeah. Totally. They don't give a damn. They say, they go don't. ahead, set the screen. We don't care. You're who go- who you're- is the pick and roll ball handler on that, though? I don't think it was Seth Curry, if no, I remember sure correctly. I, I'm sure it was. Hold but, on. And that's I think pa- somebody, that's actually, somebody actually sent me the screen cap this morning. So let me go back in my text messages real quick, and I'm going to find who the uh, who the player is I at got the top. It. It, it was Seth Curry in that clip. And yeah. It was Trey going around the Ben Simmons screen. That's a that's a weird that's a weird situation there, though, because you have Embiid up there. The 
spacing's really bad on that play you're talking about. The spacing's always bad. I know. On yeah, everything, you're right. everything they do. You're, it is. But that's the thing. Like, when Embiid is off the floor, you have to find a way to maximize value out of Ben Simmons. You have to find a way. Because what we're finding out here, Joel Embiid, he was an MVP candidate for a reason. He is one of the game's best players for a reason. But he is not Tim Duncan. He's not Dirk. Not this guy who's durable and always there. You can't always rely on Joel Embiid to give you peak Joel Embiid performance. So with that said, Chris, he needs somebody by his side who can do that with Ben Simmons. Some of it's his own limitations, his own stubbornness, his unwillingness to switch hands, despite having a former shooting coach who tried to have him do it, despite having his former teammate, JJ Reddick suggest that he should do it. Despite the fact that every Sixers fan in the world knows he shoots with the wrong hand. Part of it's stubbornness. Part of it is also role and situation. He hasn't had a guard who can draw defenders away from the paint to your point in that clip we're talking about. And also, he hasn't had a coach that runs a lot of pick and roll. Brett right. Brown didn't run much of it, and Doc Rivers isn't doing a lot of it with him. My point is here is you got to find a way to get value out of him. Yeah. So try something a little bit different Here's the more problem. frequently. Here's the problem when it gets to this point, though, Kev. If he can't shoot and he can't make free throws, now I'm just fouling you. Go ahead. Yeah, drive. but he he's not touching the ball as a screener. Know, he's but, rolling but, down but, the lane. But drive. I'm going to foul you every time. Now, how are you scoring? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, he, what did he take? Four yeah, field goals last it's, night? It's, it's not always about, like, when it's you set a screen. It's not always about putting it in position. Bro, I know, I'm, you I'm can't take that, four shots. Chris, when you set a screen and roll to the rim, you don't always receive the ball. That's not the, like, screening and rolling is sometimes about just the gravity causing defenders to suck into the paint to open up a shooter away from the ball. But they've like got one. They've got one shooter, Kevin. Yeah, but they, they, they have they have guys who can hit shots. Who? Though. I mean, like Tobias Harris can hit shots. Oh, He's God. standing in I the wish corner. he would. Seth Curry can hit <laughs> shots off the dribble. Like They have to do it more, and I think it's a shame that we haven't seen it all these years. They do Simmons. need to. I, they, I really do. They need it's, some more, it's actually a shame. It's they need shame. some more shooters, and they got a – like the Danny Green thing hurts just in terms of what you were talking about, the gravity. Right. People talk about Draymond Green as a Hall of Famer, Chris, because of what he brings on offense. Because he's paired with Stephen Curry, their 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 skills complement each other perfectly. Yeah, Draymond Green is a zero as a shooter, an absolute zero. You he also plays center though. You know, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. Charks's point earlier was have Ben Simmons with the bench unit instead of Dwight Howard, have him play the five and use this dynamic center who can run your offense for you around be an offensive hub around the elbows who can set screens and roll to the rim. How they're not doing that. I don't get it. It baffles my mind. I, I have been waiting for it for years and I've just about given up on ever seeing it. Well, and you know what? There is a, the, the huge story and I hate this for Hawks fans because the huge story is the 76ers collapse. But the collapse always has two sides. Yeah. And the heart that the friggin' Hawks show when you – I mean, when you're down 26 and you just keep – like they always say one possession at a time. Keep chipping away. Keep chipping away. And Nate McMillan has got those guys believing and playing it out even when they've gotten in these big deficits. They play it out. Right, because twenty six that can easily you know just turn to thirty six and then forty six and then you look up at the end and you've just gotten stomped and and guys just go this wasn't our night you know what I mean they made everything Embiid came out you know going crazy made his first you know ten of eleven shots and so uh, it's just not our night but we'll 
we'll get him back when we go back to Atlanta. And, you know, not necessarily pack it in, but you know the circumstance is dire and you might play that way. Or you get crazy and everybody starts trying to do it themselves and trying to hit the 10-point shots, and then it really gets worse for you. This team just keeps doing what they do. They got guys that have this crazy confidence. You know, this was Bogdanovich. Just a huge Lou Williams Williams moment. It was. It's it's not just Trey. It's Bogdanovich in the starting lineup. Lou Williams off the bench. They have a bunch of guys who who have no conscience, aren't afraid to take big shots. And Lou Williams has been playoff disaster, Lou Williams, so many times over the years. And not, not, not the other night. <laughs> no, he's outrageously great. And they just keep on plugging away, plugging away, plugging away. Next thing you know, they end up, you know, winning that game. And now you've got a team in Philly, you know, maybe it's going to be back against the wall. Okay. Now we're really, we're going to play it out. You know, you, you play it like a game seven because it's got to be a game seven. So you only play seven or eight guys. You're not running out even mm-hmm. full bench units. You know, that thing, that rotation gets tight and guys just have to play huge minutes. But the thing is, can they can they hold up for huge minutes? Because he even said last night, he put them back in with 10 minutes left, not wanting to. He did not want to put that the starting unit back in with 10 minutes left, but he was forced to. Like, that's, a, that's what Doc said. I had to, you know, and then, of course, people asked him about the Ben Simmons four for 14 from the free throw line. And he was like, it, like they asked him, like, did you, did you feel like you had to pull him because of the free throw situation? And he was like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, if you're Doc, that's what that's what being a nice guy generally is like even becomes very, very difficult. Like, bro. Like, what do you think? Yes, yeah. I had to take him out because he's four for 14 from the free throw line. And when we dribble the ball past half court, they run to him and start slapping his arms so that he has to go take more free throws. If he can hit them, I'll play him. But, like, this can't be. You yeah. can't do hack a ban and us just be, you know, an innocent bystander to our demise. And And that was kind of the situation. And so you've got – a, a huge collapse out of him at the free throw line. And then you've got a huge collapse out of Embiid. I really felt like there was a lot more slander about Simmons and the four for 14 for the free throw line and only taking four field goals and all that crap than there was about Embiid. And I think why, it was. Why, be- why shouldn't there be? It's Embiid's hurt. I know because he's, he's three for pain. 21 in the last two yeah, seconds. He's halves. playing through a partially torn meniscus. Like I understand. The fact he's even playing is a testament to his attitude and his toughness. I understand. Like, and beat is one of the toughest players in the whole league, but he's three for 21 in the yeah, second I mean, half of yeah, these I games. Mean, it happens. You're I mean, hurt. No, no, I understand, but yeah. that's, that's why this is going the way it is going in the it, second half. It's, it's, it's all on Ben Simmons in that sense. If you're like putting, if you're pointing blame at one of the two stars, like it's one a hundred, a hundred out of a hundred fingers should be pointing at Ben Simmons. Like Embiid is hurt. Like he, I can't, I can't fault him at all. It's unfortunate that dur- durability is a problem for him. It's unfortunate that injuries have been part of his story, but that's the way it is. Some guys don't stay healthy. Ben Simmons, you know, it's partially system. It's partially fit. It's partially his own choices. And it's just the fact that right now, 
I don't even think it's just the hand in this thing. I think so much of it is happening between the ears. He looks spooked at the line. He looks scared. He looks so terrified when he's up there at the line. I, like he oftentimes, like you can almost read it with Ben Simmons, not to be like body language doctor, <laughs> like with Bill Simmons sometimes, but you, you sometimes he has fire in his eyes. You can see a killer in Ben Simmons. When he's at a free throw line, he looks like a, a toddler. Like it's sad to watch sometimes like in that other game. And for him, I hope like he is going to commit and do everything possible this offseason to prevent this from being an issue in the future because this can't happen. All right, I'm going to tell you Like this can never happen. This is going to be a very, very strange thing for me to interject here, and I'm only going to do a one-minute thing on this. Look, I said this about Giannis. I did this whole bit on my local show last week about Giannis and about how – there, there, there's this old story. There's a, actually Malcolm Gladwell did this oh, I, podcast I knew you were going to say about this. the underhanded free throws. <laughs> I knew it. Right? And about how Will yeah. Chamberlain changed for one season, shot free throws the best he ever shot in his life, and then I think it was 61, and then he ended up going back because he didn't, he didn't want to be the big they guy like the way it looked. Yeah. I'm telling you this. It is the per- 2021 is the absolute perfect time in the history of history to do this. Somebody can pull this off. And if it's a Giannis or a Ben Simmons or whatever, I really believe this is what will happen. If somebody does it and is effective at doing it, okay, and they're effective at doing it, the narrative will not be, look at this grown Hulk that's got to shoot the ball underhand like a weenie. (laughs) The narrative will be, why are all these other bums that can't hit free throws not doing it his way? And it will, it's going to switch because there's so many of these guys that are outstanding players that the, that the free throw line is now this adventure and it's killing them and it's costing them games that all it's going to take is one guy that decides I don't have the proper touch. You know, obviously people have been trying to get him to do it this way for so long. It's going to happen, Kevin. Mark my words. It's going to happen. Somebody's going to do it. And somebody's going to set their ego aside. And also, I just think we're in a we're in a spot right now, especially within the culture, that people aren't going to trash somebody or make fun of somebody in the same way that they would have for the well, last 20 years. There, there was a player drafted back in, I think, 2016, Onuka. Yeah, he wasn't Rockets. good enough. He wasn't good enough, nope. exactly. But nope. he did he did do it, just wasn't good enough. And I think to your point, Chris, there still would be a lot of people who would make fun of a player who does that. That's just the way it is, you know. But I, to your point, I would be willing to bet that the far majority with the way the internet yeah. is, and it's very analytical, would be like, hey, why Why not try this, DeAndre Jordan? Why not try this? What Giannis? if Giannis so started making 10 out of every 13 he shot? Here's, yeah, it'd be, it'd be nuts. It'd be nuts. It'd be he, would nuts. Be an, he would be an innovator. That's the thing. He would be an innovator. You and he's kids. the kind of guy that could pull it off because he would be, he's got enough ego, you know, he's got enough yeah, swag about him where he would go, look. I'm trying to help my team win the most. Bingo. It, it's all, that's all it is, dude. That's it. It's all, that's all it's and about got, is winning. And he's got the confidence. He's like, I, 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 I was hurting my team shooting it that way, so I'm willing to try something new in order to 100%. help my team. Because what I care about is winning. And 100%. then everybody would be following suit. They'd be like, look at this guy. He's trying something new. He's exactly. doing this, you know, whatever. And it, Thank you, Chris. That, that's would. all it's about. That's all it's about. Like if, if you are willing to take a risk and maybe even embarrass yourself a little bit along the way, all in the name of trying to maximize your abilities as a player, 
therefore to impact your team's ability to win games and compete for championships. You have my admiration. You do, regardless if it's doing granny shots, you know, underhand free throws, or whether it's changing, tweaking your jumper form or whatever it is, you have the utmost respect for me personally. And I know a lot of other people feel no the lie, same Kev. way. What is more embarrassing? Shooting four for 14 in the freaking yeah. game yeah. six? Which is more embarrassing? Exactly. And, and by the way, and by the way, with Ben Simmons, I don't think he needs to go underhand here necessarily. Chris, it's the when, right he, hand. <laughs> when, when he uses his right hand or his left hand yeah. on shots, he uses his right hand over 85% of the time. Very rarely do you see left-handed layups from Ben Simmons or le- or lefty jumpers from Ben Simmons or lefty float uh, the hook shots. What you see is Ben Simmons getting into a right hook from the post, a right-handed layup, a right-handed putback, a right-handed open floor dunk, a right-handed hook shot, a right-handed f- runner, floater, everything, because he's a righty. He said so himself back in 2016. I think he has pretty solid touch with his right hand. I'd love to see the switch happen. Um, I, I really would. I really, I don't know if it would make him a good shooter. I don't think it would make him a great shooter. I think he would be a better shooter. You think we get a game seven? I do. Yeah, I do. I do. I think I we do. get a game seven. I'd be surprised. If I we think don't get doc a game seven. just trims that rotation. You've got it, it trims that rotation to how, to how much? Who does he cut? Does he uh, cut Dwight Howard? <laughs> what do you? Yes. I mean, okay, you know, does, unless does he, he has to, he, 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 has to, he has to get by a couple minutes. I'm talking about that whole Maxi Shake Milton, that okay, whole lineup. So, so does he cut Shake Milton? Shake Milton had a big game before. I mean, he may be one of the guys that gives you again if you're playing seven or eight. I'm saying he's right. not playing these five, four, four and five man bench units. Sure, yeah, it's so, not ending up with that. You're, you're still playing up, Matisse Thibel, right? Despite his struggles, hundred percent. But you're just, yep, I'm you, with you. Thank you're, you. You're yep, just yep. interjecting three of these guys. Right, maybe four, but just a couple minutes here, a couple minutes sure. there to give uh, give our guys a break. Yeah. Right, I but mean, in the, terms the of like part. these bench units and guys playing like over ten minutes each, like no, that will not. The, the the tough part is though, Chris. Like those guys might get gassed you, out, well, and your but, center's but how, got yeah, a torn meniscus. Exactly. How much can you play? Indeed, I, I don't know, man. That's that's why like, I think it circles back to the point. Or from earlier, you have to find a way to get Ben Simmons going. Yep. It's simple; like you have to get him going. If he has to play forty-five minutes, and Embiid, like like Embiid, might actually be better playing him thirty-two minutes than forty minutes. There's so it's hard a possibility. To trust. It's, so it's hard really to hard. Trust I know, they man. Are. Atlanta might and, do it. Atlanta the might do it, dude. Like Trey Young, Trey Young has taken a leap in my eyes in the sense that the biggest question with him in the playoffs was the size. And we saw at times at first when Philly put, I mean, he's and Ben Simmons on him. He was dribbling into like six arms. Like Joel Embiid was in the area. Simmons is all over him, help defenders there. And he couldn't handle it. But I feel like watching Trey, he's operating with a greater feel. He's adjusting on the fly. It's, 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 it's as if like many players do, they watch film and try to find weaknesses. Like Ben Simmons is not a perfect defender. There's no such thing as a perfect defender. And he's looking for those moments to strike. And I think it ties into the point you mentioned earlier, Chris. They sense that Philly gets more tired in the yep, second half. They do. And there may be like legitimate situations in which Trey knows to attack. Middle of, a, of like a stretch, a stint on the floor for Ben Simmons might be an ideal time. Whatever it might be, a certain position that he stands in his stance on the defensive end. Those things, tendencies players watch for on offense too, right? And I, I think Trey Young has done that. I just sense a greater feel against this when it wasn't looking good early on. 
The late game last night was maybe equally as shocking because Paul George is by himself as the star, the guy, with Kawhi Leonard being announced yesterday morning that he was going to be out for that game. And so it looked like, oh, here's another one of these injuries are about to alter everything. Uh, The Jazz were still going to be without Mike Conley, but it was going to be Paul George and the rest of the Clippers having to go in and win uh, a game where they were going to be a significant underdog. He was absolutely awesome. And it is what I, I had this moment where there's always these guys throughout sports that are insanely talented, but they are they are branded as the guy that doesn't get it done in the big moments, right? And then we beat him up, beat him up, beat him up, beat him up, beat him up. That's the, that, that's that's what they wear. They're the guy that can't come through in the big moments until they do. And then the big, and what you learn for so long is, yeah, there's some guys that are intensely talented that it never happens for them, but so many that were great, whether it was – in golf, it was Phil Mickelson. In baseball, is Alex Rodriguez. In football, there's been a ton of them, right? There's John Elway. There was Peyton Manning. There was Andy Reid, hell, even last year, right? In hockey, it was Alex Ovechkin, right? He's this great, great player, but he doesn't get it done in the playoffs. And then next thing you know, he's he ends up holding up a Stanley Cup eventually. And, and, and Paul George, it, you know, there's that thing where it's like everybody's going – Bro, you can't have Paul George as your best player in this kind of high leverage game trying to go win that game against Utah, like this massive swing game against Utah uh, going back on their home floor. And he is without Kawhi Leonard. He is the best player on the floor by a wide, wide margin, puts the team on his back. and win. I mean, that was a huge moment for Paul George and his, you know, whatever want to do the corny legacy thing or whatever, but honestly, just the perception of Paul George, right? You are, you're the guy that can't be counted on to get it done in the biggest moments until you get it done in the biggest moments. And that wasn't the biggest moment, but that's pretty damn big, Kev. That's pretty you damn know, big. Earlier in the, in his career, he did have that reputation. Yep. And then things flipped. Yep. Could this be the beginning of him flipping that back? Because that was certainly an extraordinary performance. I thought it was funny after the game because he was so great. 37 points on 22 shots. This is either after the game or the next day. Uh, Ty Lue was asked, do you have a, a plan if they start doubling or trapping, trying to get the ball out of his hands? And he's like, I hope they do. <laughs> He trusts George the passer as well because it wasn't just his scoring that night that was impressive. He did make some nice passes too. Paul George played a complete game. It was a dominant performance. And for the Utah Jazz here, they're having trouble on both ends of the floor for different reasons. But on defense, with the five-out offense, with Marcus Morris and Nicholas Batum spacing the floor – it pulls Gobert out of positions where he can be an impactful player around the rim, and the Clippers are doing a much better Who job that? at getting there. It's, that's that's not an indictment about Gobert, though. Oh, it's that, not? That's, it, it is on the offensive end, though, and that's what I'm getting at because you can't blame Gobert on defense. That's just the way you have to play. On offense, well, 
you're allowing them to play small because of his inability to defeat them, to use his size to his advantage. Rudy Gobert has no post moves. He is not a threat off the bounce. He, he is a solid passer, not a great passer when he receives the ball in the short roll. Gobert's inability to defeat Marcus Morris and Nicholas Batum inside the paint is why the Clippers can stay small and be as impactful as they are on offense. It, it works both ways. So unless the Jazz can find a way to punish the Clippers for being small, to force them to bring Zubats back onto the floor, it's going to be really hard for them to play defense like the way they did during the regular season. And if you do that, like it's going to hurt you on offense too, man. Yeah, is, man. Keep, let them keep playing small. It's, it's, a, it's a tough dilemma. Ty Lue, um, it takes him a while to figure this stuff out. But he but does. He <laughs> does. He landed on this small lineup. Mm. And next thing you know, Terrence Mann's, you know, because of Kawhi being out, now he's playing 25 minutes for you with all this energy and fight. You know, uh, Pat Beverly gave him some minutes off the bench. And, you know, they're playing Zubats less than 10 minutes in that game. Like, it is that 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 whole stats muse thing about him. Eighteen minutes or more, they never have won. If you just looked at that one stat and you said, "Okay, they haven't won these playoff any playoff games that Zubac has played eighteen or more minutes," and yet here they are with a chance to move to the Western Conference Finals without, uh, and, and that's despite they losing these games when he has played real minutes and you, you sit back and you go, but what if they never did that? It is hard to argue when they've been just the small ball clippers and they played, you know, they've been playing man and they've been playing canard and they've been playing Batum that when they've been the small ball clippers, like I really don't know how many games they would have lost in these playoffs. And I feel like we would be thinking about them differently because I'll be damned. They just became the small ball clippers and won without friggin' Kawhi Leonard yeah. Yeah. in the game. That, like what? Yeah. I mean, because it helps them so much on both ends of the floor. And I mean, this is jumping ahead. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but if they win the series, and they face the Suns, it's going to be the same thing in the sense that DeAndre Ayton is going to have to make them pay a little bit inside or, you know, through getting to the basket from by Devin Booker or Chris Paul, if he's able to play. So it's going to be the same thing next round with Ayton's importance, because if you pull him away from the paint, it doesn't allow Phoenix to defend the way they wanted to. It doesn't allow anybody to defend they want to. So we're seeing here the importance of being able to make smaller teams pay. By the way, didn't the Lakers do that last year Yep. to the Rockets? Yep. 80 was able to do that when Houston went small and they went 80 at the five. It's very important to have that ability. I wonder if the Jazz can. You know what I mean? I wonder that too, to be honest with you. Chris. No, I mean, I, I wonder, wonder if they can just decide, all right, we can't, we can't do the big thing. We can't. And like, they go small, you're saying. So they yeah. don't play Gobert as much, is what you're suggesting. That's right. I mean, and they just I say, know. I don't know, man. I and don't they know just say, gonna we're going to go there. five wide, too, because we yeah. can't match up the other way. But you're already shorthanded, though. Like, you're, you're already playing basically I know. six guys plus, like, a mixture of Niang, a little bit of favors, you know, for, like, five, six minutes here and there. I Like, unless Conley can come back, I don't think you can – I don't think you can even. Well, this has got things. They have to get Mike Conley, dude. Look, this this has gotten things flipped on them, though, Kev. I mean, their their one series win, 
these last several years was uh, against the Grizzlies, who got in as a play-in team. You know, if they lose this series, it is going to say something when you look back and you go, all right, this is great during the regular season. But when teams can match up and they can really play small against us, is this sustainable to be able to win four out of seven games against a really good team? Because you saw it last year where Jamal Murray just went, absolutely nutso. And if you watch back, even if you watch back that 50-point game, Jokic is setting high screens for Murray. He comes around. You know, Gobert's not going to come all the way out, and Murray's just having a field day, and he's averaging a million points. And so is this something when you don't when, – when you're all, if your only series win playing this way is against a, a Grizzlies team who was the youngest team to make the playoffs in 10 years, I mean – it, it is something you got to think about, right? Like, is this is this a recipe that when somebody prepares for us, or can you alter this and just say it's not like this? This just is what it is. When you've got Gobert, and he is going to be a massive advantage, but there's in the time that he's not, and he very clearly is not an advantage for them right now. On it, offense, especially. So they're playing right Batum yeah. 42 minutes. Yeah. Shout do you know out to what Nick kind of odds dude. you could have gotten on Batum hey. playing 42 minutes in hey. a playoff game? But hey, shout out. I know. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, a couple of years ago. <laughs> oh, my imagine God. When Nick, imagine when Nick Batum is making $27 million and nobody wants him. <laughs> Unbelievable. And he, and, he, and he stinks. Do you, you know? That he'd, be, he'd be playing 40 plus minutes. Do you for know? A team about to make the Western Conference Finals. <laughs> do you know there was a guy with Charlotte? All right. He was with the traveling party and was talking to me. I'm not going to sell anybody out. It was talking to me. We were just having a conversation uh, before the game. This is whatever it was, probably three, four years ago. Okay. And he says to me, he goes, you think, uh, you think they do Batum for Parsons? And I was like, bro, I was like, you, they, like Chandler Parsons, like he can't, he can't play. Like, I get it. And he goes, I don't think you understand. And he's like, we would do that in a heartbeat. And I was like, what? I'm like, that's how low, because like that Batum contract was thought of as oh, yeah. just this, you know, like, like this, like this anchor around you know, their neck. Right. And like in the same way. And the, yeah. and the thought was his goes a year longer. That's what the guy told me. He goes, his goes out another year. That's why they do that deal. And I'm like, this is insane. You're just talking about, you know, trading two guys that signed the worst contracts ever for each other. <laughs> like they maybe they're maybe these are the only two guys that could be traded for each other. But that's where that's where it was with yep. Nick Batu. Like seriously, like and, and hey, now he's a superb role player. He's a 42 minute player in the playoffs. Unreal. On a team that's one game away from a Western Conference Finals appearance. It's crazy. And dude. he's playing center. Mm. <laughs> Everything about it is crazy. I got I got a Reggie Jackson stat for you, Chris. Let me hear it. So this season, out of players that have used an isolation on offense a hundred times, including the regular season and the playoffs, Reggie Jackson ranks first in efficiency. 
scoring 1.2 points per chance. So the Clippers score 1.2 points per chance when Reggie Jackson isolates. Second place is Kevin Durant. Third place is Stephen Curry. Fourth place is no. Damian Lillard, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Zion Williamson, Zach Levine. Like these are the players that Reggie Jackson ranks above. Look, look <laughs> at, it, look at Bobby Smurder. Bobby Smurder himself. Um, I always, hey, for like 10 years, I had a higher opinion of Reggie Jackson than I ever should have. And it's so funny it's coming back around because when he was on his rookie contract, there was a playoff game that I was at where Kevin Durant did virtually nothing. Russell Westbrook did virtually nothing. And Reggie Jackson scored like 33 or 34 points on the road in a playoff game. And just like, I mean, I watched it. And I think it was game four of a series. I mean, probably it flipped the series. And it was like, I just watched a game where it was Reggie Jackson and Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. And the other two didn't do that much. And this guy just looked like the biggest superstar on the floor. And so from that point on, I always like kind of had a higher opinion of Reggie Jackson because I witnessed him have this just no one can stop me playoff game. And obviously his career did not have the trajectory of a guy that does that. And he was in witness protection in Detroit for some amount of time. Um, But I mean, look, the numbers are the numbers, Kev. He's better. Yeah, he's yeah. better scorer than Kevin Durant. It, it, I knew it. It's a it's I a much it. smaller <laughs> sample. Reggie, yeah. Reggie Jackson logged 190. Harden logged 615. Just to put that those extremes into into perspective. But hey, like he has looked really good in that role though in the postseason. He yep. has some off nights, but when he's on, he's able to hit some of those tough contested jumpers. He's improved so much the last two years as a shooter. Yep. He used to be a bad shooter. He is now a good shooter legitimately. And he also had a lot of talented teammates around him to pass the ball to. He would often be sharing the floor with Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. He Shout out to him as well, getting better over the years. Well, look, it's so odd the way this thing is flipped in that particular series because if they – I told you at the very beginning, I thought they're going to need Conley in order to win this thing. You know, at some point you got to just stop holding on to hope that you're going to get Conley. And especially it's been instructive to watch Harden, who is giving it a go before he's ready to give it a go. And you see you get this – very watered down version. And so you're not going to get the full. He Mike does Conley. help though. Harden he, does help. Though. Yes. No, he does help. Another guy but, can bring the ball up the floor. He's been solid defensively look, now like, at this uh, point, in certain situations. At this point, fair is fair. If, if I say I lose Conley, you lose Kawhi. You take that deal a hundred oh, times yeah. out of a hundred. And so it is what it is. Like this is a lot like the Bucks thing. Bro, you got to win. Like the same with the Jazz. If they're not going to have Kawhi Leonard, you can't lose this. Yeah. yeah, You can't lose. You cannot lose this if they don't have Kawhi Leonard. Like, you have got to go in there and win game six, and then you got to go back home and you got to win game seven. Or else this is just a, 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 a disappointment of just epic, epic proportions. Seriously. You can't I, be losing to the Paul you. George Reggie Jackson Clippers. That is yeah. a disgrace. You know? And Quinn I, would have to watch you. out. You, you know think what so? I mean? Yes. Quinn, Quinn's a good coach, man. So is Rick Carlisle, Kevin. Yeah. I mean, Things so change. is he hadn't been out of the first round in 10 years. I mean, and, and Quinn, it's going to be what? It's going to be a long time since they've been out of the first round. Or, I mean, they got out of the first round this year, but it was against the Grizzlies. 
But I mean, the other years they've been getting bounced in the first round. Speaking about Rick Carlisle, huh? oh, yeah, we're gonna get to it. Let's cover the Chris Paul thing real quick first, because that's whoever the Utah and Clips winner is gonna feed into. Really, no update on that today. Have you no heard update. anything? I believe somebody reported earlier. It might have been Shams or Woj who said uh, there is optimism that he, if anything, he might miss one game. Oh, depending wow. depending on the timing. Okay. So like, I, I don't know. You know, we'll find out more. Um, but that was stated earlier today. Okay. All right. Well, then that's a lot better than the he's in jeopardy of the Western Conference Finals. If you say he's in jeopardy of missing Game One, it's like okay, it's not. <laughs> It's not that big of a deal, right? Yeah, I mean, for you got sure. you got you got to win four. Yep. <laughs> you know, so I mean, they could lose. They could lose a first game with or without Chris Paul. That's not inconceivable. For what it's worth, that was from Woj. Okay. Uh, so Woj, Woj had that uh, earlier on Thursday. Okay, good. Well, because that was a that was a just like one of those stories that, that as soon as you see it come across the ticker, you're like, oh my god. This snake bit dude. Now, it might have been his own fault, right? He might have put himself in a position, whatever, uh, to, you know, to not be adhering to whatever their protocols are at this given moment. Um, but he has been in so many situations where he's been right there with a chance to achieve destiny and then it have, have it be ripped away for one reason or the other. And this one might've been, it's certainly this is different than injury, for sure. but it would have been just horrendous to not get to see yeah. him in the Western conference finals. I mean, as if I, I hope he, I hope he's able to get back and, and Woj did say in that same report, it would be potentially no games missed if Clippers jazz goes to a game seven. Mm. Um, so that was from Woj. So it's very possible. We do see a Chris Paul in a game one. Okay. We have so much coaching news. All right, let's 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 do the Carlisle thing first. All right, so Rick Carlisle, it, this was an odd way to do it because he didn't wait for the – he didn't wait for the Mavs to, like, put out some kind of release. He sent a iPhone notes, quote, <laughs> to Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, you know, thanking everybody for the 13 years and he loves Dallas and blah, 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 blah. Now, this is all coming off these – a couple of these few articles from The Athletic that have been written by uh, uh, Tim Cato and I believe Sam Amick helped him yep. Uh, yep. with them. Uh, first, it started with like yeah, this. Tim and Sam did those. The, those are really well done. The inner turmoil of the Dallas Mavericks and uh, uh, Haralabob Volgaris, who had been hired there in their analytics department. It, I mean, it really came off as kind of a hit piece on him. Yeah, like it did, who, yeah. whoever. Whoever were the sources on there were not huge fans of him by any means because there wasn't exactly any kind of, uh, but here's the good side, right? It was all like, yeah. okay, here's the problem. Here's this stats guy. The, 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 the owners now, he's got the owner's <laughs> ear now. He's kind of involved in stuff. It's muddling stuff up with the front office and Donnie Nelson and the like. And so now that feels like a, okay, Here's a here's this article that comes out detailing all this. To me, just from the outside, I don't know anything about this situation. I would just say from my experience, that felt to me like either these guys have gone to Mark Cuban and have issued their complaints about this. They don't like, you know, the way this has gone with this guy. And Mark Cuban's told them, yeah, whatever, like 
Bob's my guy and get on with it. You know, like what you're, you know, you're, you're being sensitive or whatever else, or we're just trying to be the best we could be, whatever. They, they, they don't feel listened to. Or they're scared to talk to the owner about it, so they give the story to the media, <laughs> and then it, now it's got to be dealt with, which Mark Cuban tried to deal with by just going publicly and saying this is bullshit, which obviously it's not bullshit. Yeah, and then, then Donnie Nelson's gone. Then Rick Carlisle's gone days right. later. Yeah. And now these guys are all gone. Um, and who knows what happens with Bob Volgaris, if, whether he'll be, remain with the team or not. Uh, but great, great reporting on this. And one of the fascinating ones on the on the whole re-up today, and this is before the Carlisle stuff, I believe, but there was the story about the Donnie Nelson and the front office and Cuban blowing all these guys out. There was part of it that talked about how despite what Cuban says or whatever – that there are other guys within the league that sit there and they go, I, I don't know who's running the show. I don't know who's, who I need to be talking to. And I've been through this, Kevin, with the team I covered. Look, I covered the Witch Brooks situation. That's how that kind of stuff happens, right? Yeah. And, and obviously, the next year – Chris Wallace wasn't in Memphis. Ernie Grunfeld wasn't in Washington. All those people that were involved in that night, you know, for the most part, a lot of them are not with their teams anymore. And, you know, you probably got and, – and there was always the weird arranged marriage with Chris Wallace and John Hollinger, and then they brought in Zach Kleiman to be assistant GM, and it just leads to all of this – confusion sometimes and now different guys are talking to different guys and you're trying to get this deal done and things get lost in the shuffle and whatever and so i can see that that this you know who's got the power who's the one that's got the owner's ear you really have to you have to scrap that and get organizational alignment and you have seen the, you know, the, the 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 Memphis front office has been praised in a great, great deal um, for their draft picks and everything else because they just scrapped it and they just decided, all right, Zach Kleiman is the guy. That's the end of that, right? He has these guys that work with him that are side by side with him. But anything that is dealing basketball, that's who you talk to. That's the guy. He's the one making the decisions. That's the end of that. And those are the best organizations. And those, I mean, yeah. and, 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 and Mark Cuban, this can't happen with these articles because I really feel like if it weren't for these articles, nothing would have happened. I'm not kidding because this guy's maybe, not like a, a regular old owner. This guy's on Shark Tank. This guy's like legit, like famous, famous. I, I, I don't, no, I, I, don't, it, I, I wouldn't say this would have happened without the article. Maybe it so, but a guy like that. This has been brewing. Like, like it's legitimately been brewing for a while. For a guy, all I'm saying is, even if it hadn't, a guy like that, he doesn't want the perception out there that he don't Absolutely. know run a, how yeah, to run yeah. his own house. That, that's true, too. You yep. know what I mean? Like, this looks like I don't know how to run my own house. These guys are out there telling stories on each other. I don't For run sure. my own house. I don't yeah. have if, – if this guy's backstabbing this guy and this guy's backstabbing this guy, I don't have my own stuff in order. This isn't the kind of stuff that happens. In a in a good company, right? And Definitely. so for yep. him, it's different than Joe Schmo owner that nobody no, no. even knows, right? And it's very possible like this was the push. Okay, we yes. gotta do it right now. We're not gonna wait a week, not gonna wait till after the season, like finals are over, it's happening right now. Well and, to know, me, it, it read like the and this has been a story that's old as time. 
the stat guy or the analytics based guy comes in and the yeah, basketball that's what I was gonna the say. basketball it, it, guys classic. are all like f this yep. dude i mean this happened i remember hearing stories years ago about daryl the reason Morey. you the, still hear stories like people who don't like daryl Morey. the reason the, the, re, <laughs> the, the reason uh the reason uh I met Daryl was actually through Chris Wallace because they were both in Boston because Chris is the one. They're still good friends to this day. He was the one that was friends and nice to Daryl because Daryl was brought in as this quant guy. And, you know, the Leo Papils and the, everybody else in the world, you know, they're like, you know, take your binders and shove them up your ass, nerd. You know, and like, exactly. Like, is, why is it still, still hear that sometimes? Why, but why are we <laughs> listening to this guy? Like, get this effing guy out of here. Like, what are we yeah. doing here? But yeah. Chris was nice to him, so they've been friends yeah. ever since. But the truth is that you didn't read a story about that years ago, and that's been going on. It happened with Hollinger. Yeah, bro. Nobody cares about the friggin' like, what. I don't even know what you're. you I, I don't even I mean, understand. I, I think, I think with Harella Bob, with Harella Bob, I think it's more personality based. Probably, you know, like I mean, a lot of people just don't like Bob. Yeah, and, but and, all and, these like, guys, he can rub people the wrong way all, all, the, quant- all the time. So I think yeah. I think that's a big part of it. And if you like, people skills matter though, too, Chris. Like that's a, that's a legitimate gripe, gripe for somebody in a leadership Absolutely. role. Oh. And if, you know, it is like, regardless of what line of work that it is. Right. So, you know, I, I think with him, if, with Mark Cuban, we'll see what happens if there's a role for him moving forward, whether it's as a consultant, you know, who doesn't, who isn't around the team on a database basis or somebody with a bigger role. I don't think it'll be the bigger role, um, but we'll see what happens. And I, I look forward to seeing what Cuban does here because there's a big void now. That's one. That's arguably the top coaching job to be able to coach Luka Doncic, one of the best young players we've ever seen in the game at his age. Also for a general manager too. Like, is he going to go, you know, for a big swing here? I don't know. Or is he going to go for somebody within the organization that's worked under Donnie Nelson for years, like a low key hire? I I am really excited to see what Cuban does here because these decisions, Chris, that he makes will have a ripple effect into the next three, four, five years because Luca is the type of guy who has no tolerance for losing. He's been winning since he was a little kid. Ever since he's been a teenager, it's gonna this, be this, this, this it's, guy, this guy is going to need to have this team get it right or it's going to get ugly. I don't know if you read the last article that they put. Oh, no, no. This was actually the uh, it might have been the Tim McMahon Woj one I read tonight. I mean, it's pretty obviously going to be that Jamal Mosley guy. So Jamal Mosley they got a so, quote from Luca about Jamal Mosley. Oh, I, was for, like, I, didn't, I didn't see this. Yes. Okay. They so got here, a so quote here's from Luca. I got I got to pull this about up about Jamal uh, Mosley. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I don't need to worry about who's going to get that job. Like if so, they got him on the record talking about what he thinks about Jamal Mosley as a so head a couple, coach. So the, a couple weeks or months, I think it was a couple months ago. Um, I, I had heard like a lot of stuff out there about Rick Carlisle really kind of losing his voice in the locker room. Mm. You know, Luca didn't really love him that much at all. Uh, didn't like the way he was utilized and like the connection that they had. But the guy he loves is Jamal Mosley. Luca loves Jamal Mosley. He is connected with him and they do, they do everything pregame together. They, mm. they understand the game together. They just click. Right. There you go. And that his preference is for Mosley to be the head coach. And my thought is this though. Mosley very well may be like the best candidate for a job. He could be a brilliant coach. I don't know a lot about, you know, 
how he would be as a, as a head coach. It's very hard to know how anybody will be as a head coach. You hear a lot of great things about assistants sometimes, and then they stink it up. So it's like a crapshoot a lot of the time, but how much do you value the star players preference when it comes to hiring a head coach? If you are a general manager, which they don't have right now. (laughs) So if you're Mark Cuban, how much do you weigh Luca's opinion with the decision here? Cause it matters a lot. What he thinks about that. I don't know. Why don't you you call Houston and ask them how it works out when you hire the coach that your guy doesn't want. That's the thing. Exactly. Exactly. That's the way it can go. Sometimes players aren't always right. Nobody's always right. No, it's hard. It's hard to hire people. It's really tough. No, but, <laughs> so, but, but, but dude, if you don't hire the guy they want, I know then he gets mad. And then if it doesn't work out with the guy you hire and Mosley leaves for some other job somewhere else, cause Carlisle's gone and he doesn't have his favorite coach since he was a rookie. And then the next guy sucks. What does that turn into? It turns into like first take in the morning. How are the Knicks going to get Luca? It turns into us talking about it on the later show for the drive back home. When you listen to the mismatch on a Tuesday afternoon, that's that's what it turns into. And that's why the implications of what Mark Cuban does here are so significant. And I cannot wait to see what happens because like it's, it's fascinating. There could be so many ripple effects. This is right or wrong. Now with Rick Carlisle gone. You have Greg Popovich was hired in 1996. He's got a title. Wow. Eric Spolstra, 2008. He's got a title. Steve Kerr, 2014. He's got a title. Then you have, so the third, fourth, and fifth longest tenured coaches with their teams were Rick Carlisle, Terry Stotts, and Brad Stevens. All of them will not be on the sidelines. The other two that are not like either 2018 or later, Quinn Snyder and Michael Malone. Snyder's been there since 14. Malone's been there since 15. That's it, Kevin. In a league of 30 teams, there are five that have been with their team longer than 2018. It's 2021, bro. that's, That's incredible. Five! It's incredible. And Quinn Snyder might not make it if they lose to this Paul George, Nick Batum Clippers. I don't know. I mean, I guess it'll be. I don't, he's a good coach. He's a great coach, right? But, I mean, like that's the, that's, the, that's the mode of operation now. You just don't coach long in any of these situations. So let's move to the other one. All right, so let's say Luca does get to choose his coach, right? I mean, no lie. There is a quote with him on the record Talking yeah. about Jamal Mosley. Does Zion get to pick his? Might. <laughs> I know he got hey, I know we'll, he got we'll to see. pick who the hell was out. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like it I mean Oh my you know, god. How about those se- stories? Well, that seems like it was more mutual. Yeah, uh, but they like were like par- they were like Zion's being family's gonna be- tired of watching Brandon yeah, Ingram. Hey, it came out Zion doesn't like him, Brandon Ingram doesn't like him, nobody likes him. I mean, again, with the Pelicans, it's the same thing, though. David Griffin has to get this right. Oh. He's got to get it right. The fact is, is that someday there will be a player who signs the qualifying offer because they want to test unrestricted free agency the following year instead of signing a rookie max extension. That will happen someday. I don't know who it will be. Zion Williamson will have a $17.5 million qualifying offer in a couple of years. Well, it's just, it's just, who knows, like, Chris? Hey, no, no, here's who knows? the thing, Kev. I wonder if, though, it's going to happen faster like it did with the Porzingis thing where 
he didn't get to the point where it was extension time. Yeah. But before he, he got to that point, he said, I ain't, yep. I ain't re-signing here, so you yep. might as well get something for me. And that might be the formula. Like, it, it, it might be it. But somebody won't get traded like yep. AP did. Yep. And then we're going to see it happen. And play it's it going to happen someday. Like, I, I mean... People, it will. Every, everybody around the it league will. says it's, it believes it's going to happen. It's just a matter of who. Absolutely. Like the, the circumstances need to be really unique for that to happen. But why, here's the thing. This is the only thing that confused me, Kevin. Maybe you could tell me about this. What the hell on, on June 17th? Why the hell June 17th? Stay, or 16th? Whatever. What, yeah. Like, why? Why? Why did it take until June 16th to figure mm. out that Brandon Ingram and Zion don't like the guy? I that, mean, that's, that's I don't know. I, I, it's I just weird, right? Reason, it's an odd time. Like, like I said, I, I think a lot of it was because it was mutual. Maybe Stan Van Gundy needed time to think about it, too, before they decided to do it. Like, it le- like legitimately, the stuff from that article. He needed to think about whether or not he wanted to be fired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. No, I mean, if they want to, <laughs> what do they call it? They called it part ways, didn't they? Huh? Didn't they call it? Like, oh, come on. Agree? No, but it was like, it, there's a lot out there about him not being happy living in New Orleans. That's been out there since no. during the season. Oh, so so like, well, that, maybe, he, that him oh, and his family yeah. didn't love New Orleans and that he was happier doing what he was doing before. <laughs> maybe it was a, uh, you know? how much money of this contract do we have to pay yeah, you? It, it, it could be that too. <laughs> <laughs> Buyout negotiations. Yeah. Negotiations took until June 16th. Yeah, we'll say we parted ways. How much of this $35 million do we got to pay you? Yeah. It could have been that. Because you only coached a but, year. We're not paying you the other 30 <laughs> Like, seriously. Hey, I'll tell you what. Whether it was a mutual decision or not, it's going to be mutually beneficial. Yep. You know, for the Pelicans here, <laughs> like, it just didn't work. Zion, Brandon Ingram, no. all these guys didn't connect with him. And with Van Gundy... Hey, can do some media. Maybe like he'll be happier, <laughs> right? I, hopefully he is. Yes. You know, if, if that's true that the family didn't love living there, um, that matters most. So for for the team though, what type of coach are we looking for? Like to build around Zion? Like what type of system do you want to see the coach bring? Like who, regardless of the name, like how do you want a coach to play Zion? Well, first because that we, needs to be part of the first. Equation. We got first we got a personnel thing, and to me and that's on Griffin. Yes, to me. I would look at it. I read all those quotes and I read those stories, right? And I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, both Zion and Ingram love Lonzo and went out of their way to speak about wanting him back. So if I if I look at it and I say, all right, now I got Lonzo. I'm trying to flank those guys with outstanding defenders that can also play some offense, and I'm flying. I'm flying. You know what I mean? I'm getting these guys out yeah. in space. Because that the, you, if Lonzo, they both love him, and they think – Ingram said, I think he's a generational talent in passing the ball. Right. And so if those guys have that kind of a relationship to where they're willing, they're 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 going out that hardcore for the guy. I didn't realize they were all as close as it appears they are. But with Lonzo, I would look at it and I would say, all right, I've got Lonzo, I've got Ingram, I've got Zion. Now, how do I how do I get the most out of these? And man, if you can get those guys out in space, I would have those three and I would flank them with some guys that can play defense and shoot. And that's that's it. No lie. 
No lie. I would play defense. Some guys that could play defense and shoot. And I would bunch also. A bunch but, of 3 and D guys around But Zion. more so than anything, I would get them a coach that can connect with them. They, Personality, right? They just didn't respond to this guy. Yeah. They didn't. The old, the old school they didn't tough, respond. tough mentality didn't work. No. No. So, I mean, you don't have to go the complete opposite way of that. But at this point, like, I do think it would be welcome to have somebody in there that would, you know what I mean? Like, that's not drill sergeanting these guys, you know? Um, and somebody that can, uh, you know, look, I've, I've talked a lot, and I know that Bud's not a big one right now for anybody, but uh, – you know, that Darvin Ham has been there on that Bud staff for a long time. He's come up for names. I hate to get see him get caught up in this, you know, with the Bud stuff if, if everybody gets so down on him because those guys that have been under him, whether it's – I I tell you who would be – who would come to mind. If you're not going to keep somebody there because they're you know they've got a comfort level, you know, because Teresa Weatherspoon's name's come up, uh, another guy from the staff, right, his name came up. Fred Benson. You know who I think and, could be and good there? Also Charles Lee from the Bucks too. You know who I think could be good there? Is Atkinson. Hmm. Interesting. Because I would look at it a little like how they got that Brooklyn thing going with the Levert and Russell and all that, right? They he created a culture there where that team really ended up liking each other. And that was a young team that developed, right? Yeah. And I think you do need somebody that has some level of experience of developing a young team, you know, because that's what that is, you know. And so For I, sure. I actually think he could be a pretty good choice there. I thought he how did about, a good job in Brooklyn. How about this thought right here um, with Nate McMillan? Uh, he is the interim coach, doesn't have a head coaching contract for next season yet. Yeah. Um, I wonder, you know, like we talk about free agent seasons for players, did Nate McMillan have a free agent season for a oh, coach? Lock him up. Where, but no. like, could could somebody but could somebody drop the no bag no and, and outbid Atlanta? No like way. by a lot. No way. Like, has he done enough for that to the, happen? The, the, the Bensons ain't dropping a bag. Their locker room sucks. <laughs> Come on, they're not dropping a bag. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just I know, no, especially no, after, not, especially after Griffin just went no, and told no, no, them I'm they're going to pay Stan Van Pel- Gundy. Chris, I'm not talking about the Pelicans. They already oh. have to pay Van Gundy. I'm talking about anybody. Will oh. somebody drop the bag oh, for Nate McMillan? It's feasible. It's feasible. It'd I mean, be interesting. I think Atlanta's I going to. I think Atlanta will and should. You can't. But you could can't somebody lose. else be like, well, <laughs> we'll give you fifty percent more. <laughs> I tell you this more so than anything. Forget about Kenny. I don't Atkinson. know what the offer will be. Hey, forget about Kenny Atkinson or Weatherspoon or any of these names we brought up. Right regarding Pelicans, just go ask Zion who he wants. <laughs> be like, yo, yeah. will you sign here if we hire? Yeah. <laughs> I'd hire his dad if he don't get him to sign there. <laughs> You know what what I mean? if uh, just what whatever, Lon- whatever? I mean, I can't lose him, so whatever. I'm sorry. What like, if uh, what if Lonzo says I'll resign if you hire my dad? <laughs> oh, I would love that. <laughs> oh, that'd be the best. That's a great idea. Not only, oh my god. And what if Zion wants Lavar as the coach? And, and, and then they could be like, you know what? The Pelican ain't that significant. Can we be the New Orleans big ballers? <laughs> Chris, <laughs> you did say you want him to play run and gun up yes. and down the floor. Lavar. That's how Lavar wants to play. That's it. 
LeVar Ball for coach of the New Orleans Pelicans. He's been right about everything else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one, one real quick before we get out of here. Scott Brooks, he's gone. There's another long-tenured coach, by the way. Uh, wild. Another uh, one, yep. Yeah, so he's gone at Washington. And this one matters a great deal just because whoever comes in is going to have to, you know, like he had a long prior relationship with Westbrook, right? Oh, yeah. So you got Westbrook and you've got that hovering, everybody's always putting Beal into every trade, you know, <laughs> scenario ever situation. And so as they should, it is another, it is another, can I, you know, how do I, how do I keep my stars happy? You know, like Scott Brooks, to his credit, you're not getting a bunch of the articles coming out saying these guys didn't like Scott Brooks. It's just Scott Brooks didn't do that good of a job. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But I'd say this, he held that thing together. I I do think he needs credit for that because they had no chance at making the playoffs and then they made the playoffs. Right. And he got them to keep on playing it out the rest of the way. And I'm and not he fell, so he fell into a rotation that worked. Like we talked right. about Ty Lue earlier figuring it out. He found something that worked. He did. he did. And he also like he got those guys playing. There was a time in the season where Brad Beal's body language and, uh, you know, face, uh, you know, you could see it on his face that he was just sick of this crap. They're like 13 and 39 or whatever dreadful record they had at one point. And then they fought back. And next thing you know, you know, they were playing playoff games, for goodness sake. So this guy, uh, you know, it, it, Scott Brooks is – I think he probably falls into the class that most coaches do. I think there's there, there's a very small handful that uh, raise your ceiling a great deal or maximize your roster in a way that many others could not. And then the majority of these guys fall into the same kind of class of NBA coach. You know, which means they're often criticized. Everybody see, thinks they stink, and they get to coach for three or four years, and then we get a new guy, and then we think the new guy stinks after three or four years because guys keep their jobs for three or four years. Nobody thinks anybody's good anymore. Seriously, like that's why these guys coach. You know, there's five of them, three of which have titles. The only two guys that have been with their teams for any long uh, long term at all that don't have titles are Quinn Snyder and Michael Malone. That's it. So, Something else, man. And the other, and by the way, Rick Carlisle has a title. But I, I was shocked to see. I, I didn't realize this offhand. I was reading this article today, and it said, you know, they won that 2011 title. Dallas has not been in the second round since then. Yeah. Isn't that something else? It's really r- remarkable. That's unbelievable. I, I was shocked to read that. Mm-hmm. I was like, damn, they haven't? They haven't been in the second round yeah. <laughs> since 2011? It's a long-ass time, kid. It's pretty crazy, man. And that was a uh, six times in the playoffs, too. All first-round exits. Wow. Long time. Long time. All right, well, we're going to have a ton of news. Look, we've had a massive amount of news that has taken place throughout this week. And who the hell knows what else could happen over the Dude, weekend. And hopefully we get knows? some Game 7s besides – you know, oh, yeah, that'd be nice. We're assured one. We might get two more. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I look forward to the games on Friday night. It's going to be fun. We will reconvene uh, next Tuesday. Thanks for producer Carlos for filling in for us again. And we will talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.